is printed in your bulletin. We've had a busy past couple of weeks here at the church. Last week we had our missions conference, and uh, the missions committee did such a great job uh, bringing in Andrew Shoger. I was so blessed and filled by his preaching here. It's just great to hear God's word so many times throughout the week. And then you guys, uh, y'all, as we like to say, have responded to that call. And I think this year, I don't know the exact numbers, but I, I know that this year, from what I've heard at least, uh, we've exceeded our giving from the previous year to our missions. And so anyway, that's just a testament to what God is doing here amongst us and in your heart. Uh, so it's been a busy but great past couple of weeks. Recently, my wife and I, and as well as some of our students, uh, have started a TV series called WandaVision, okay? Uh, and I did not say long division. It sounds a lot like it sometimes, but what I said was Wanda, as in Wanda Maximoff, and Vision. It's part of what's known as the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we love watching because uh, every single week, I don't know if you remember the show 24, uh, but 24 would leave you every single week kind of on the edge of your seat, and it would end just when you think it's getting good, right? WandaVision does something similar. It kind of leaves you every single week theorizing and guessing, and so the students and I and my wife and I have been just kind of guessing, where is it going? What are we doing? I also love uh, what Marvel has done, the MCU, and, and what they're doing is this. They're telling us a story. Uh, and so WandaVision is telling us a story, but it's part of a story that's connected to a bigger story because all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all of these movies, though you can watch each and every one of them by themselves and see a story, collectively they're telling you this overarching story. It's really cool. And so if you uh, watch movies like Thor or Spider-Man or Iron Man or The Avengers, Every single one of these movies are great individually, but when you put them all together, there's this kind of big storyline that's going on. Each movie affects another one in some way. This morning as we get into the book of Luke, it's a great reminder that Luke's telling us a story. As a matter of fact, the Word of God is giving us a redemptive story, and so we have 66 books in the Word of God, and God is communicating to us this redemptive story, and so is Luke. Luke is communicating to us. As a matter of fact, our verse this morning, starting in verse 27, starts out with these words. It starts out, it says, after this. That's the way our verse starts this morning. Uh, for the good exegetical students, or for the good exegetical pastor, this points back to your context. After what, Luke? Well, if you remember, this was actually before Christmas uh, in Luke 4, uh, it kind of Jesus is kind of being inaugurated into his earthly ministry. It kind of sets the scene like this. Jesus is in the synagogue. The word tells us, as was his habit, which is super convicting for me because here's Jesus, the perfect son of God, right, who is constantly in his father's house, right? Uh, that's a, maybe a sermon for another day. But uh, Jesus, as was his habit, was in the synagogue. A scroll was given to him to read. Jesus stands up to read that scroll. And it's a scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And here's the words that Jesus reads right at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Remember, Luke is telling us a story. Here's what he reads. Luke chapter 4 says this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he tells us exactly what he has come to do. I've come to heal the blind. I've come to heal the spiritually oppressed. This is what I have come to do. And so really through the rest of Luke, we see Jesus accomplishing what he tells us he's going to do right at the onset of his earthly ministry. What he's telling us here is this, this in Isaiah is pointing back to, really it's pointing back to the year of Jubilee, which we looked at. If you were here for our sermon series in Leviticus, I actually preached on the year of Jubilee. And what Jesus is saying is, what Jubilee and what is being foreshadowed in the book of Isaiah is this, being fulfilled now in your midst. I have come, the shadow pointing to the substance. Jesus has come, and he's going to set us free. I've named my sermon called to follow. The reason why I named it that is this, because my hope for us this morning is that we would see these two, uh, these two truths is that we would see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in calling us to himself, in calling sinners, in reconciling enemies to himself, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and that you would see in that grace that how that grace transforms us as believers to follow him wherever he may call us. And so when you have a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it frees you up to give God control in every single area of your life. And so that's how our text begins. But before we get any further, let me just pause and pray for us, uh, because this is God's word, and uh, we need him to communicate through me um, for that. So let's do that. Father, as I said, I am humbled at the opportunity to preach, God, because I know my fallibility, Lord. I know so often, Lord, that I can just get in the way of what you're trying to do. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would allow Patrick Darty to get out of the way. God, that you would search us and know us, that you would try us and see if there be any anxious way within us and then lead us this morning in the way everlasting. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. All right, so again, back in verse 27, after this, he, he being Jesus, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, okay? And so Jesus, he's walking out of this, out of this context right here. Remember, if you remember last week what Tanner preached on, uh, the paralytic being healed, he's walking away and he sees a tax collector sitting in the tax booth. And as Jesus sees this man, no doubt, no doubt he would have known this is a hated man. The word is clear. This is a tax collector. Jesus, no doubt, knows his own culture. Now, tax collectors uh, have been hated and probably are still hated in a lot of ways, even though I know of some tax collectors, even here amongst us this morning. But the reason why most of us don't like taxes is this. We feel like, you know, uh, Taxes are, you know, I've never heard anybody say, Patrick, what is your favorite season? And, and then someone would say, tax season. I love tax season. Like, it just never happens. No one loves tax season because you recognize this to be true. That even if this time of year, which we're in tax season, uh, 
even if you're getting money back on your taxes, you're just getting a portion back for what you've paid in, right? So that's one reason why most people don't like taxes, because they have to either pay in or they're only getting back a small portion. Another reason why many people don't like taxes, especially in our day and age, is they feel like in giving money to the federal government, our, our money is so grossly mishandled by the federal government, right? You, you, maybe you're paying taxes and the government's giving your hard-earned money to something you feel like the government should not be giving your money towards. Or maybe it's the reverse. Maybe you feel like the government should be using your money uh, and giving it to something that they're not giving it to. And so most of us don't particularly love paying our taxes. Again, no one I've ever met says, this is my favorite time of year, Christmas and tax season. I love it. Um, But here in our text, uh, Levi is hated um, because of his context. Now, you see tax collectors in the ancient Near East, and Jesus' culture and in Jesus' time were hated for many reasons. One of those is this. Well, what happened is this. Uh, Matthew or Levi, by the way, if I use the word Matthew, it's just another name for Levi. This is the same person who writes the Gospel of Matthew, just to be clear. So sometimes I'll confuse those names. But Levi here, uh, he, he would have bought the right from the Roman government or the Roman army to collect taxes. Okay, so Levi was probably a very wealthy man. And what he was looking to do was kind of live out the American dream. He was kind of looking to continue to collect and continue to get rich. And so he bought the right or he purchased the right from the Roman government to collect taxes. Now, tax collectors were crooked, right, as we've probably all heard. And so Jesus is seeing this man and he's seeing a man who's hated because he's taking advantage of his own people. That's what Levi is doing. So... Rome required a certain percentage, which was probably a very high percentage in taxes. And then on top of that, Levi would have collected his own portion, right? And he could have collected whatever he wanted. And here's the worst part. They would have had this Roman centurion or this this Roman guard there so that if whatever Levi had set the, the wage to be that they must pay, if they could not pay it, they would be beaten or thrown in jail or possibly even killed for not paying their taxes. And so it was a heavy-handed kind of system that was going on here. But let me be clear. I believe the reason why tax collectors were hated the most is because of this. It's because Levi, being a Jew is supporting a foreign army that had come in and taken their land. This this army, these Romans had come in and they had invaded them. They had killed some of their own countrymen. They had taken their houses. They have done all of these evil, atrocious things. How can you, Levi? How can you support something like that? How are you taking advantage of someone like me? You're a Jew. Why would you get in bed with the Romans? And so by most of our standards... He would have been a hated man. And so Jesus, the word of God tells us here that Jesus sees Levi, a tax collector. And where does he see him of all places? In the place he would be hated the most. He sees him at work. He sees him at his own job. Now, uh, I want to be clear on one more thing. And, And this may not be clear to us on the initial first reading, uh, but... 
The Lord doesn't necessarily see as we see. Matter of fact, if you remember back to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, I'll give you the context. Okay, Saul, which was the first king of Israel, had been rejected as king. Okay, so the first king of Israel, Saul, had done some pretty nasty things, wasn't following after the Lord, had been rejected by God. And so God goes to Samuel, he talks to Samuel, he says, I've rejected Saul, and I want you to go to the house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I want you to go to him because I'm calling one of his sons to be the king. And so Samuel obeys. He goes to Jesse's house, the Bethlehemite, and he goes to Jesse, and Jesse's like, ah, I know who it is. Hold up. And he goes and he brings the son out. And this son is you know, everything you could think about. I mean, he's handsome, he's tall, he's, he's the Matt Joyner of the crowd, right? Like, he's just everything. And, and he goes and he parades the, he's parading his sons in front of uh, Samuel. And Samuel's even like, oh yeah, Lord, this has got to be the dude, right? This is him. And this is when in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says this. It says, the Lord sees, not as man sees. For the, for the man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks on the what? He looks on the heart. The Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outer appearance, but God is looking on the heart. And so, uh, for what we used to say in preschool, actually for Levi, this is not a good thing. This is what we used to call a double whammy in our preschool days. Because Jesus sees a hated man. But he's also looking into this man's heart. And as we, see, as we read from Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, it says this. The heart, the heart of man, the heart is, de- is uh, deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind. I give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And so Jesus looks on Levi. And he sees his hate. And he sees all of these atrocious things that are happening. But he looks right in on his heart. And it's even worse. Matter of fact, the book of James tells us that the fruit of our actions, even the words of our mouth, are just a product of our identity. It's just a product of our hearts. What we found our hope in, what we found our trust in. And so Jesus looks on this man and he sees all that he's doing. And it's just a veil form of what's really going on in his heart. Um, it's, it's the double whammy. Jesus sees this, this evil, atrocious stuff that is going on. One of our students a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago or so, told me a story about, um, a, about a young man she saw. Uh, she tells me the story. This, this young man is on crutches, and he's in the, the lunch line or at his school, Okay, and so I don't know if it, I wasn't there, I didn't get to see it, but she was telling me about it. I don't know if it was because of the narrow hallways or what, but he's trying to maneuver his way through these narrow hallways, and he falls down on his face on crutches. She said everybody in the lunchroom saw him fall, and yet no one was moved. Not one student got up to help him. Matter of fact, the only thing that they did was they either laughed or they pretended they didn't see it. They all saw what was happening. Jesus looks in on this man's heart and he sees this deep spiritual need. And thank God he is not unmoved. Thank God Jesus looks in on this man's heart and there's nothing good in it. Nothing at all as Paul tells us. 
But Jesus is not unmoved. Um, let's continue on. It says this, and he said to him, guys, this is going to blow us away. He said to him, follow me. Get this. Jesus looking in on this guy, looking in on his heart, looking in on his actions. What does he do? He invites him in to a personal relationship with him. Follow me. We should be blown away at what Jesus is saying here. Because it's not just that he's done bad things, but you got to think about the one whom is calling him. Remember, Luke is telling us a story. And so this is the same Jesus who in Luke 1... Right? When the announcement of Jesus is coming, he come, the, the angel of the Lord comes to Mary, right? Remember this? The angel of the Lord coming to Mary. Uh, the angel of the Lord saying, hey, you're going to be a whole, you're going to have a child. And Mary asking a very good question, right? She says, um, excuse me, Mr. Angel, uh, that's cool and all, but how am I going to have a child? I'm a virgin. Now, this isn't a birds and the bees talk, but that's a great question, okay? How am I going to have a child? I am a virgin. And the angel says this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then in Luke 2, just one chapter over, again, Luke setting up this Jesus. Who is this guy? In Luke chapter 2, at the birth of Jesus, what do we see? We see an angel in our army of heavenly hosts. Singing this, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those whom he is pleased. This is Jesus. And this is why it should blow us away. Because this is the second person of the Godhead. This is the self-sufficient God who's been sitting on the throne for all of eternity, right? This is the second person of the Godhead. Meaning this, what does it mean that he's self-sufficient? Jesus has never been in need. It's not like they were up in heaven, the Trinity was there, and there was this moment like, man, what are we going to do today? I don't know, I'm kind of bored. I've got to figure this out. Uh, you know what, let's, let's make some people, let's make some worlds, and let's go say, maybe that'll occupy our minds for a little bit. Maybe that'll occupy us for a little bit. There's never been a day, never a moment of a day where Jesus Christ has not been in perfect joy. The Godhead is the only one like this. It glorifies in itself. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is Jesus. This is the guy who has, in the sense of his own personal joy, in the sense of his own personal gain, has nothing to get, to gain here. He is self-sufficient. The creator, the one who speaks in worlds and galaxies come into existence. This is Jesus looking upon Levi. He looks at this jacked up guy and his, his actions are only a, a, a dim veil of how jacked up his heart is. And he says, follow me. He invites him in into a personal relationship. Are you kidding me? This is God. And you want me? It's like Jesus is dropping an atomic bomb of grace into this man's soul. It's just, the king of heaven wants me? How can we ever get past that? The king of heaven, he wants me? Are you kidding me? 
that atomic bomb of grace. I don't deserve it. Who am I that the king of heaven would want me and invite me into a personal relationship with him? My fear is this this morning, that so many of us, maybe some of you here, maybe in the church in general in America, so many of us know about this grace, but we don't know this grace. Um, Imagine somebody asking me this question. I go up at the mall or something with my mask on. Uh, I'm at the mall, and someone comes up to me and says, hey, Patrick, do you know Libby Darty?" And I say, which is my wife, just in case you don't know that. Uh, And I say, you know what? Yeah, uh, she was born in such and such a place. Uh, She was uh, born on such and such a date. Her favorite color is such and such. I I didn't ask you if you knew about Libby Darty. Ask you if you had a relationship with her. Yeah, I wake up to her every single morning. Matter of fact, our anniversary, our 11 years, was just yesterday. We went on a date. We talked. I know what she loves. I know what she hates. I know what she's good at. I know what she's not so good at. She knows my fears. She knows my failures. We talk. Yeah, I know Libby Darty. Do you know the grace of God? Or do you just know about it? The king of heaven wants me. And it's blowing Levi away. It's going to transform everything about him. As we're going to see here. Because this type of grace, when the atomic bomb of grace goes off in our soul, we can't help but to be different. We cannot help but to be different. Which is really where the rest of our text goes. Um, In 28, it says, look at Levi's response. In leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Remember, Levi would have paid the right for these to collect taxes. And so Levi walks away from his cash cow, right? Levi walks away. Whatever had been paid, he just lost it. Levi walks away from everything. He, he, he leaves his own comfort and personal security to follow the one who made him. To follow the God of grace, the one who was worthy. Because he had found a treasure worth leaving it for. Right? It blew him away. He leaves everything. And then look what happens next. Starting in verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast. It's time to party. It's time to party. He made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And so Levi here says, this grace has so transformed my heart that not only am I leaving everything, I'm leaving my cash cow, but now I'm going to take whatever money I have and I'm going to throw a party. And I'm going to invite everybody I know because the man of God who's been transformed by this grace doesn't want to go to heaven alone. The man of God who's been transformed wants to invite as many people in. And you know what? The only people that have probably hung out with this man are tax collectors and sinners, and so he invites them in. Because his heart and his life had been transformed. But as we're going to see, there's always opposition to doing the Lord's work. When you are truly following God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and and going into the calling for which he's called you, there's always going to be opposition. It's interesting to me, at least from this text, this may not be always the truth, but it's interesting to me that the opposition comes from the religious, right? He's going after the tax collector. He's going after the sinner. And yet it's the religious that have a problem with him. 
Look with me in verse 30. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You know, part of this, um, part of my concern, especially in today's American comfortable Christianity, is that we have the tendency, at least in my opinion, to do this. And, and myself included, okay? I'm, not, I, I'm pointing the fingers at my own heart, okay? Uh, we have the tendency to, to kind of hedge our bets. I heard a story um, of this guy who, uh, he, he owned a mattress company, and he placed like a 3 or $4 million bet on the Tampa Bay Bucks at the beginning of the season to win the Super Bowl. First of all, I didn't know mattress company or mattress uh, stores had it like that. I didn't know owners had it like that where they could just throw down 2 or $3 million. So uh, evidently, I'm in the wrong line of work. But uh, he did, and he throws down 2 or $3 million. I can't remember the exact amount, but it was in the millions of dollars. And, uh, and as it got closer, as Tampa Bay was making the playoffs, uh, there came an opportunity for him to hedge his bets. In other words, to make a bet against himself to make sure he doesn't lose that money so they had gotten far enough where he could hedge his bets. And that's what the world is calling us to do. Hedge your bets. Don't go all in. Hedge your bets. I don't remember if he would have hedged his bets, but think about this. Tom Brady had to get through, and this is a little side note, he had to get through three Super Bowl MVPs. Three of them. It did not look good for Tom Brady. Now, we all know the story. The Bucs won the Super Bowl. If you didn't know that, hooray, the Bucs won the Super Bowl. He had to make it through three Super Bowl MVPs to win the Super Bowl. The odds were stacked against him. Hedge your bets. Hedge your bets. It's okay to go to church. It's okay to be a Christian, but hedge your bets. Have a backup plan. Give God your Sundays and maybe your Wednesdays. Don't give him your bank account. Don't do that. Maybe you can give some money. Don't walk by faith. That'll hurt. Uh, have a backup plan. Be a sideline Christian. It's okay. You know, root them on from the sidelines. This grace of God eliminated all of that for Levi. Again, in our, our text, it ends with these words. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Instead of hedging his bets, Levi went all in. Matter of fact, the call of God, when he called him to himself, and when Jesus calls us to himself, is to go all in. He wants it all. This is God, and he's worthy of all of it. Um, and so Jesus reminds them again of what he told them in Luke 4. I told you guys in Luke 4. Matter of fact, I told you even from Isaiah. Matter of fact, I told you even from Leviticus where uh, we got the year of Jubilee. Even in Genesis, I told you what I was going to do, guys. I was coming to save the lost. I was coming to save the sick, the needy. I was going to heal the blind. I told you what I was going to do. Why are you against me? I told you what I was going to do. I've come to save the sick and the needy. I've come to, to call not the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. That's what I've come for. You know, as I look at this text and as I look and I think about how Levi might have responded to this amazing grace, this atomic bomb of grace that just goes off in his soul, I was listening to a, a song this week that really just hit me. Uh, you know, I'm sure... 
one, I love music, so uh, if you ever see me getting into it a little bit more than most of us, it's okay. I'm not losing my mind. I just love music. All right. Uh, and two, uh, sometimes songs just hit me in a new way. I had heard this song before, but for whatever reason, studying this text, this song had just hit me in a new way. And I'm going to read some of the lyrics. We're going to close with these lyrics. Um, but it's a song by 10th Avenue North called Control. And as I think about these lyrics, I think about Matthew. And I think about this story, how Matthew was in the tax booth, in the place he was hated the most, and Jesus, the God of the universe, calls him, and he's blown away, and it transforms everything about him. Listen to these lyrics. Maybe think about your own life, or think about Matthew, or Levi here. It says, I've had plans, shattered and broken, Things I had hoped in fall through my hands. But you have plans. Plans to redeem and restore me. You're behind and before me. Oh, help me believe. God, hear this. You don't need me. God, you don't need me. But somehow you want me? Oh, how you love me. To t- uh, and somehow that frees me up to take my hands off of my life and to give you control. Oh, you want me? Somehow you want me, Jesus. The King of Heaven wants me. So this world has lost its grip on me. I think that's the story of Levi. God's grace is transforming. Are you being transformed by it? Let's pray. Father, I'm I'm blown away because I often don't think um, about you, the King of Heaven, calling me. God, I often distract myself. I often become busy with meaningless things rather than spending time with the one who made me. Spending time enjoying that grace. Spending time being blown away by it, God. And I, and I wonder this morning how many of us are the same way. We get distracted by our jobs or by our phones. We get distracted by all the many things in our lives that just drowned out that grace. God, would we be a people, a church? Would we be those who... Um, who are committed to having that relationship, that experience with the God who made us, and for that grace to radically transform our hearts, and for that to radically transform our lives. May may we be about what you're about. Help us, Lord. God, we need it. Would you start with me? Would you start with our church? May our city be different. Because we just said yes to the call. We said yes to transforming grace. May we be different. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.